Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Good morning. I am still amazed that we are announcing our Christmas service. It just blows me away. It feels like that still should be so far away. But it's not. It's right around the corner. Hey, I'm mostly this series, I'm going to do it from a chair. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it just feels more, I don't know, theological. I don't know. But uh, hey, before we get there, here's what's going to happen. All month long, there's going to be things I'm going to remind you of. We have a whole bunch of... Um, uh, a whole bunch of things coming up this next year that are gonna, that's going to take us into January. And as we go into January, we're, you're going to start to see some changes. And so even before I get there, first of all, let me remind you that November 20th, we're going to take an offering. It's called One Day to Feed the World. And what we're asking you to do is we're asking you between now and November 20th to do two things. First, pray about if that's something you'd like to participate in. It's over and above your normal tithing and giving. But what it is, is we're asking those that participate to give one day's salary. So whatever you figure out your, your daily rate is, maybe you make $100 a day, maybe you make $200 a day, maybe you make 50 bucks a day. We're asking you to pray about setting aside one day's wage to give to an uh, offering that we're calling One Day to Feed the World. All of those dollars is going to go to an organization called Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful organization they feed a million children a day. A day. Like a day. Like some of you struggle to feed your five kids. Right? They feed a million children a day. And uh, they, are hurt. They, they are disaster relief. So right now they're in the middle of Florida. They're also right now in Ukraine. And this is one of the mission organizations that we support. And it's, one, it's the way that we support them. They don't, we don't send them money all the time. We send them one check a year, and it's one day to feed the world, and it's our way that we come together around Thanksgiving and say, hey, we want to be grateful. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. So it's above your tithe and offering. It's one day's wage, whatever your one day's wage is. If you decide you're going to go big generous on that, you can do that too. But would you, would you pray about that? And then second, if you pray about that, would you participate with that in us by just setting aside one offering? Um, here's the second thing that we want to tell you about. Um, January 1st, uh, we have been invited about, about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, I was uh, asked Shalane Coit from Vineyard Community Church. She reached out to me, and um, she is in the process January 1st. She is retiring, and so she said, hey, can I talk to your staff about seeing if there's somebody that feels called to pastor our church? And I said, yep, you can. And sure enough, we had a really good conversation around that. Um, and Kevin and Missy, after a really long process of prayer and conversations, have said that that's something that they would like to do. But when we had, when we had that conversation, um, that they came back and said, we really do feel like the Lord's calling us to do this. However, we only want to do it if we can stay on staff with the Downtown Vineyard Church. And so we had a really long conversation around that. And so we are taking on Vic- Vineyard Community Church, which is on Orchard Mesa on Unaweep Avenue, just down from Orchard Mesa Middle School. You guys know where that's at? There's a little white building there, and it holds Vineyard Community Church, and that will now become Vineyard Community Church, a campus of the downtown Vineyard Church. Really cool, right? 
So we're really excited about that. And so there, that's a, it's the number one way that churches grow are through new, um, new ventures. The irony is, the guy who started that church 10, 11 years ago, his name was Steve Sanford. He was one of my great, great, great friends. And he helped us start the Downtown Vineyard Church. He literally uh, pulls up one day. When we first start, he pulls up. I've got this little office. We have no staff members. It's just me. I don't know him. He's kind of a cowboy type. And he comes pulling up in this big diesel truck. Pulling up. He gets out of it. He walks in. He sets down a coffee in front of me. And he walks over. And he sits down at a coffee over here. He sits down. He says, I'm here to help you plant this church. He then proceeds to put headphones on, and he doesn't talk to me all day long. And, and, and then at the end of the day, he gets up, and he, he takes off his headphones, and he says, I'll see you tomorrow, and he walks out, and he proceeds to do this every day for about a year and a half. And Steve helped us plant the downtown Vineyard Church. He then planted a Vineyard Community Church, and on the day that they got their papers, on the day that they got their papers saying that they were a Vineyard Church, he found out he had leukemia. And he passed away six months later. And he only, he only got to preach one, one service at Vineyard Community Church as the pastor of Vineyard Community Church. And, uh, and it's, it's ironic that years later that we will be taking them on as a campus because he helped us start our church. And Shalane's a wonderful friend of ours. And so would you be praying about that? And then one final thing. I mentioned this at the very beginning. Sorry, lots of commercials this morning. But it helps you know what's going on. Is that one final thing is that one of the things we're going to change going into January 1st. January 1st, we're going to make some changes to our service. Earlier in the summer, I tried a new service, and instead of doing um, all of our worship on the front side, I tried a service where we did, I, I invited about 40 people to come in. It was a service that was invitation only because I was testing something. And we did a service where I did all the worship on the back side. We did one song, and then we did all the worship on the back side. Uh, we, we feel like that's a really good way to do service. We're going to do two songs, so starting January 1st, we're going to start doing two songs on the front side, and there will be four songs on the back side. The reason for it is this. It's been in my heart for a number of years. I believe that the number one way that people grow is in experiencing Jesus. I believe that experiencing Jesus is the most important thing. My wife and I, we were talking this week, we were in Phoenix at a gathering of Vineyard Pastors, and... On our way down there, we were talking about when we both gave our life to Jesus, because we grew up in this building, and we grew up going to church in this building, and it was an Assemblies of God church. And I looked at my wife, and I said, you know, I can remember the day that you walked down the aisle. She was sitting right back over here, about four or five rows back. She was sitting right in the middle, and the pastor, Pastor Strand, asked if anybody wants to give their life to Jesus. And she got out of the aisle, and she came, and she stood right here. She stood right, she stood right there. She gave her life to Jesus right there. Now, here's the question I asked her. I said... Do you remember what the message was that Pastor Strand was speaking that Sunday? And she said, absolutely not. And I said, you know, when I gave my life to Jesus, I can't remember the message that, that the pastor spoke on that message either. But I do remember the experience with Jesus. You see, that, that when you put yourself in a position to hear God's word, God speaks to you, and the encounter with Jesus changes your life. And you may not ever remember the message that was spoke that day, but you'll remember the encounter. And so in January, we're going to reverse our service a little bit, and we're going to start doing worship, more worship at the end, because I want to see more people encounter Jesus. I want to see more people ministered to. I want to see more people prayed for. And so I'm going to be talking about those things. Last week, I started a series. I'm calling it Kingdom Culture. 
I started with an interview with a friend of mine named Matthias. Matthias uh, has an orphanage in Uganda. He has 100 kids that they feed every day. He, they, they give them education. Matthias was a street kid. He grew up on the streets of Uganda. He, he ran away from home when he was 8 years of age. And at 11 years of age, he encountered Jesus. And so last week we started by talking about what's the one thing that, that all Christians, that when you encounter the kingdom of God, there should be like some things that are just like, they're just norms, right? Probably in your house you have some norms. Lene and I have norms in our house. One of our, one of our rules to the, the Paul Watson family is never treat anybody better than you treat your family. That's, that's rule number one. Rule number one, that's a norm in our family. Never treat anybody better than you treat your own family. But there should be norms that you come into when you enter the kingdom of God. There should be things that you see and you experience. And you go, these are kingdom principles. These are kingdom rules. Well, we said last week we started with that when Jesus says, unless you come like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And there's this piece in there and you say, well, what does that mean? That, that I'm, am I supposed to be filled with joy? Well, yes, but not all kids are filled with joy. Right? You're like, well, am I supposed to be cute and cuddly? Well, yes, but not all kids are cute and cuddly. Really what Jesus is saying in this moment is he's saying that unless you come in dependence upon me, like you depend upon your heavenly Father, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God starts with, it starts with dependency upon God. It starts with this need for God the Father. And so today I want to talk about this other idea. Because there's all kinds of things that when you you look at the kingdom of God, there's over a hundred scriptures in the Bible that talk about the kingdom and the presence of God. Matthew 6.33 may be very familiar with you. It's a very familiar scripture. It says, seek first the kingdom of God in all of his righteousness. And so he's saying that part of the kingdom of God is righteousness, not self-righteousness. But righteousness. And so when you are a part of the kingdom of God, you should experience a level of godly righteousness, right? So, so the kingdom of God, sometimes you would experience righteousness. Not sometimes, but you should experience righteousness. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not talk, but power. And so when you come into the kingdom of God, we should experience power, Right? Like we should pray for people and we should see people healed. Jesus healed Lazarus. Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus. Jesus healed the woman um, who, who bled for 13 years. That there's moments. And when she reached out and touched his robe, it says that power went out from him and she was healed. And so when we look at the kingdom of God, we should see that the kingdom of God brings power with it. And like I said before, Matthew 18, 3, unless you become like little children... You will never even enter the kingdom of God. And so, so there's this place where it's like, what does it look like to enter the kingdom of God? How do I become dependent upon the Father? So during this series, as we talk about what is the kingdom of God like and what you should experience, I just want to pause and say, if someone was to ask you, what is the one distinguishing mark? When you think of the kingdom of God, What is the one distinguishing mark that all Christians should have on them? What is the one thing that you go, that that if you call yourself a Christian, that's the stamp. That's the mark. 
That's the one thing that should show up over and over and over again. Right? Some might say truth, right? Like you could easily argue that, that one of the distinguishing marks of Christianity is truth, right? I know that we live in a society that says that there's all kinds of truths and there's whatever truth is true for you isn't necessarily true for me. But as Christians, we would say that truth is it. Scripture says in John 8, 32, it says, and then you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free, right? That when you come into the kingdom of God, that you uh, all of a sudden God begins to show you things and you begin to see things that maybe you didn't see before. Isn't it funny that before you give your life to Jesus, like you don't even think you need him. And then at some point in time, you find yourself bawling like a baby, saying, oh dear Jesus, come into my life. Come on, that's true, right? Lene and I were in an airport this week. And it was so funny, this lady comes in and she throws her stuff down and she puts it right next to us and she's kind of got, like, she's just like, got, got a lot of energy on her. And so pretty soon we start talking to her, she starts talking to us and she hears us talking and she kind of interjects herself into our conversation. You know, kind of one of those moments and, and pretty soon she's talking to us and then she says, so what do you do? And we say, well, we're pastors, we're here for a vineyard pastors gathering, pastors conference. And she says, oh, the church. She says, isn't the church just a big social club? And I said, well, for some people it is. That, that's true. A group of people that gather together, so for some people that's true. I said, but you're familiar with the Bible because she told us she was Catholic and she was raised Catholic. And now she kind of does church with a guy because she likes the guy and they kind of go to church. And she goes, but in reality, the guy's really, I like him because he's short. He, he, he talks, his message is 30 minutes. And I went, oh, gosh, my church would probably love that guy. That was not funny. <laughs> like, what was that? Like, you laughed at the wrong time. And so, so I said, she said, but I said, but don't you remember? So I said, you're familiar with a guy named Paul in the Bible, the Paul, the apostle. I said, at one point in time, church was a social club for him. He was checking the box. And I said, and then he, he encountered the power of God. And he was filled with the spirit of God. And now all of a sudden, church took on a whole new meaning for him because he discovered the love of God. And she looks up, and just as I say those words, she starts crying. And she starts crying, and she starts crying, and she looks up at me, and she goes, I, I don't know why I'm crying. I, I, don't know, I don't know why I'm crying. And she's getting tissue, and she's wiping her eyes. And she goes, well, maybe it's because my dad passed away here recently. I said, it could be that. I said, Lene and I have lost our parents the past couple of years. That's very emotional. I said, but it could be that... God, God's just letting you know that he loves you. And she's just bawling. And then as we get to pray for her, Linnea says, can I pray for you? She, pray, she prays for her. And, and then the people across the way look and they go, hey, what's your name? I said, I'm Paul. She goes, you're the guy on the radio. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're on the radio a lot. And she goes, we're going to come check out your church. And then the guy next to me, I end up talking to him and he, he, he starts telling me his story and Pretty soon he's telling me his story, and I look at him, and I say, well, can I pray for you? And what you see is that you see the kingdom of God comes in power. You see the kingdom of God comes in truth, right? For some people, it's faith. If you look at Romans 3.28, it says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of law. And so we should say that the kingdom of God, when it comes, you should see a person's faith, right? I mean, we wouldn't, nobody would argue that, that they're should be a level of belief. We just talked about power. 
That when the kingdom of God comes, you could say an authentic sign that the kingdom of God is come and that people are experiencing the kingdom of God is they should experience the power and the presence of God. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, my message in preaching were not with wise, persuasive words. Paul's literally taking this moment. He's pausing and he's saying, you do understand I didn't use big theological words when I talked to you. He says, but I came with a demonstration of the spirit of power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. He's saying, isn't it funny that so many people, they get caught up in their theology and they're so tied to their theology, but their theology has no power in it. In the vineyard, we want to see the presence of God come with the power of God. We're, we're literally going to reposition the way we do service because I believe that the encounter of, well, like when you hear God's word, it should lead to an encounter. It should lead to your heart being opened up and saying, God, what would you want to do with my heart and my life? And that God speaks to us in power. We could also argue, there would be nobody that would disagree with me, that if you have experienced the power of God, if you experienced the presence of God, then we would also argue that an authentic Christian learns to serve others. And we care about the poor, right? We, we care about the poor. We actually, when you leave this auditorium, there's a shelf out there. It has a dozen food boxes on it. Every week we put food boxes out there and you can take them for yourself or you can take them to your neighbors. You don't have to ask permission. They're literally just another way for us to say, hey, help us feed the poor. Help us feed people in need. And sometimes you find yourself in need for a season and sometimes you find yourself in need for a lifetime. But these are just moments where we say as a church, when you walk out those doors, that there's food boxes there, and we say, why don't you take one with you, and why don't you give it to a neighbor? James says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? About three or four months ago, I covered the book of James. We spent five weeks in it. He says, can that kind of faith save anyone? He says, see... Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. But the real truth is, is as we walk through this today, we talk about these things like faith and action and power and presence. But I believe today, what I would like to press forth today, is while dependence of God is primary, I would say there's a second thing. I would say there's a second thing, and over the course of this series, you're going to hear me say that there's six things. And we know there's more than six things, but we're going to talk about six things. But I would say today that once there is dependence upon Jesus, there should be a second thing that follows in right behind it. And that's that Paul says, the primary way that people will know you are an authentic Christian is not by your faith, it's not even by God's power, but it's God's love that flows through you. The primary mark of a believer should be, the primary attribute of the kingdom culture should be an attribute of love. There's this long passage, I'd like to read it to you. I, I, I read this passage a lot at weddings. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It says this. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, 
all, you guys pick up how big that is? All the languages of earth and of angels. How many of you guys speak more than one language? Just raise your hand. Okay, that's impressive. That's impressive. Like in the room, maybe 10 people. How many of you speak three languages? Okay, all right. A couple people. How many of you speak 10 languages? No one. And Paul literally is coming to this moment, and he's saying, what if? What if I could speak all the languages of earth? And what if I could speak all the languages of angels? And he says, and I didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even if I sacrificed my own body. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and if I sacrificed my own body, but I did not love others, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. He literally just said that if Jesus' is, if Jesus is sacrifice, if Jesus' sacrifice didn't come with Jesus' love, it would be utterly meaningless. It would mean nothing. And he goes on to say, because you understand that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. He says, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstances. He goes on to say, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things are going to be useless. He's saying there's going to be a moment in time where we are standing in God's presence and prophecy is going to be useless and that power is power in his presence is going to be useless. Healing is going to be useless. And the only thing that will be worth anything in the presence of God is God's love for us and our love for others. Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. He says, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, isn't it fun that just pause for a second? Isn't it fun to go back down memory lane and think about all the childish things you used to do? Come on, that's fun. Is that not fun for you? Like, it's fun for me. I love talking about the, we were When we were in Phoenix, we were talking about, you know, it, it was getting late, and I just made a little joke. I said, anybody want to go to Wiener Schnitzel? They're like, Wiener Schnitzel? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you eat like Wiener Schnitzel this late at night? I said, well, usually it's about 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> Those are great memories. But if I eat Wiener Schnitzel every day at 2.30 in the morning now, that's a bad way to live. <laughs> we put away childish things. Right? Good memories. Bad ways to live. He says, so now we see things imperfectly like puzzling, 
puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Now here's the, here's the last sentence I want you to catch in this passage. There's only three things that will last forever. The first is faith. The second is hope. And the third is love. He says, but the greatest of the three is love. You see, when we experience the kingdom of God, we should experience the love of God. This is the mark of the kingdom. This is the mark of kingdom culture, that people who experience God should experience God's love. They should, this, this, is, this is how you know that you're in the kingdom. This is this kingdom culture. I don't know if you've ever walked into a church. I remember the very first time Lene and I walked into a vineyard. My brother-in-law and my sister took us. And I can tell you, I didn't go there like, like happily. And yet when we walked in, we both kind of went, oh, we're home. This feels like where we're supposed to be. And the people were the kind of people that we wanted to be around. You see, in other words, if we probe God's essence and we ask what is God's nature, at its very core, we're going to discover God's love. It's not good deeds. It's not faith. It's not prophecy. It's not power. Primary in the kingdom of God is the love of God. And if we don't become more loving, Paul says, it's all for nothing. If we become more theological, and I believe theology is good. I believe theology is important. If we, don't be, if we become more theolo- theological and we don't become more loving, it means nothing. If we become more, um, more, more gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, we become a church of, of power and prophecy, and yet all of our power and our prophecy doesn't lead to being more loving. It's literally useless. Mother Teresa said at the end of our life, we're going to be judged on the basis of our love for one another. Richard Stearns, who for many, many years headed up World Vision, one of the greatest um, disaster relief organizations in the world. I love World Vision. I love Compassion. I love Convoy of Hope. All of them are Christian organizations doing so much good in the world. And Richard Stern says, you know what the Bible for Dummies says? You know, all those books that came out, Microsoft for Dummies, Automotive for Dummies, right? And he said, he said you know, there is a book on um, the Bible for Dummies. And when you open its pages, it just says, love God and love people. That's the Bible for dummies. Just love God and love people. And yet, really smart people, that's what they do. Just love God. Love your neighbor. Love your coworkers. Love your family. Love your kids. Love your spouse. Love the people that are mean to you and hate you. And love the people that are unkind to you. The Bible for dummies. Love God. Love, love, love your neighbor. You see, I believe that the second proof of authentic Christianity is simply that. It's love. Love is the proof of authentic Christianity. Our first point. I lost my first one. There it is. The primary attribute of the kingdom of God is love. 
And love is the proof of authentic Christianity. So how do you know if someone's a Christian? How many of you guys have been around Christians that, like, they say they're Christians and their actions, make they don't show it at all? Come on, right? Like, you've been around Christians like that. Like, the guy at the office who tells the dirtiest jokes, who talks about his faith on the backside of telling the worst joke of the world, right? The person who blows you up all the time, sends you nasty text messages, and then they, uh, somewhere around Sunday they say, hey, are we going to see you in church this weekend? And you're like, no, right? Because it's so weird that, that we do know what authentic Christians look like. And the primary proof that a person truly loves Jesus has one characteristic. They also love people. They're loving people. John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Isn't that ironic? It wasn't, it wasn't raise the dead. It wasn't feed the sick. John 13, 35 says, you want to know how the world will know. No, like beyond a shadow of a doubt. You want to know how the world will know that you're a Christian. It's your love. It, that's, the, that's the litmus test. How well we love. And so then you have to ask this question, right? Because right now we're flying at 30,000 feet. Like this is, this is about Christianity. But let's drop this down to 1,500 feet. Do the people in your world think of you as loving? Is your love what people think of when they think of your faith? Do the people who struggle with you struggle with you because you're too loving? Or is it because you're not loving enough? Because the litmus test for Christianity, outside of dependency upon God, is our love for others. So many people talk about being Christians. This is the great conversation. If you see somebody wearing a cross around their neck, you go, oh, are you a Christian? And many people these days just go, oh, no, no, I saw the cross, I just like crosses. But some people, like they wear the cross around their neck because it's meaningful and it's a sign of your, your faith. And some people um, go to church and that's the sign of their faith. And some people can talk about their baptism, that every year we do baptisms and these baptisms are moments of a sign of somebody's faith. There's so many ways that we look at people's faith and we say that's a sign of somebody's faith. Kids camps or spiritual experiences. And Paul says that none of that matters. Not your Christian t-shirt, not your Christian bumper sticker. None of that matters. The litmus test for Christians' faith is love. How well we love others. The sign you're a disciple is how well we love. It's not our words, it's not our theology. John Maxwell says it this way, and I quote this quote a lot. You've heard me say it probably hundreds of times. I just think it's so powerful that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's the sign. People don't care how much you know. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, which means I could look into the future and I could tell you what God wants for you. 
And if I understood all of God's secrets and his plans, and if I possessed knowledge and wisdom, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong. I'm going to pause for a second because this is the space that I want us to press towards. Are you a loving voice in people's lives? Or have you become a noisy gong? Because here's the great part. If you have become a noisy gong in people's lives, do you know what? That's fixable. We can change that. We can work on that. We can move in the direction of not needing to be right, not needing to be theologically correct. We can just move to, I love you, man. I'm so sorry if I've hurt you. I'm so sorry if if things aren't going well for your life. Like, I might not make the decisions you're making right now, but I want you to know that I love you in spite of the decisions you're making right now. You know, many years ago, I can talk about this today. I probably couldn't talk about this many years ago. But many years ago, our family was super broken. We were in family therapy. Our relationship with our kids wasn't good. It was really, really bad. And there came a space when the Lord just really convicted me. And he said, I only want you to do one thing. I want you to make sure that when your kids come home that they know you love them. That's it. Take Pastor Paul off the table. Take being dad and I'm going to tell you what to do off the table. Your kids walk to the door, they should know one thing. That Paul and Linnea love them in spite of the good choices they make, in spite of the bad choices they make. I'm going to tell you that healed our family faster than family therapy. Healed our family faster than family therapy. We love you. Nobody cares how talented you are if you're not kind and loving. Nobody cares how smart you are if you're not loving. Nobody cares how spiritual you are if you're not loving. Nobody cares how much good you do for everybody around you if you do not love those who are closest to you. Here's the last one I want to give you. Because this, because God's love transforms our lives, we are supposed to be people who transform other people's lives through God's love. God's love is transformational. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out. I love this because how do we prove our Christian faith is real? It's love. And today as we close with this last song, I'm really going to ask you, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to contemplate this one question. I'm going to ask you to contemplate two questions. First question, have you experienced the love of Jesus? Where are you at in your relationship with Christ? How are you doing with your relationship with Christ? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? Have you received Christ's forgiveness for your life? If if today, if we had the conversation about where you stand with Christ, not where I think you stand, not where where, where others think you stand, because sometimes we can be good church people and we can be really far from Jesus. Where do you stand with Jesus today?
Have you received, are you experiencing the love of Christ? Have you asked him into your life? Do you walk in his forgiveness? Have you accepted his mercies? I believe today that probably by the end of this week, you're going to forget this message. I have preached thousands upon thousands upon thousands of messages. No exaggeration. I've been in ministry for 35 years. I can't even remember the messages I preach. But I will never forget the experience of giving my life to Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you confessed your sin? Have you expressed your dependency of, oh Jesus, I need you. Oh God, I need you. Second piece. And if you have, do those who are around you experience the love of Jesus through you? Are you an extension of God's kingdom? Do you exhibit the culture of God's kingdom of love? Are you loving? Are you a good representation of the kingdom of God? Do you represent Jesus in a way that brings him glory in his in honor? Or, or have we, sometimes we get into the kingdom of God and we become just like the disciples and say, I think I'm more important than you. Isn't that an interesting conversation that we read about last week? Just as the disciples were trying to figure out which one of them was the most important, Jesus grabs a child and puts it on his knee and says, this one's the most important. And you guys pell in comparison. They were bad examples of the kingdom at that point in time. And there's a space that Jesus holds. And the first space is, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you experienced his kingdom? Have you experienced his love and his forgiveness and his mercy? You know what? He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. Second piece. When you give your life to Jesus, do you have a reputation of being like him? Loving, merciful, kind, and forgiving. As we sing this last song, would you contemplate those two questions? Because you know I'm going to come back up here at the end and I'm going to say, hey, would you like to give your life to Jesus today? Hey, could we leave here today and make a commitment as a church that we are going to practice being people of the kingdom and we are going to be kind and loving and merciful and grateful and good to those around us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming today. Thank you for being here. If you need prayer, the ministry team is going to hang out. We're going to pray with people. So come, let us pray with you. God bless. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.